Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you good humans? Welcome to guest episode 130 of Good Humans Podcast. This is a very fun episode with Jack Jensen from over in New Zealand. This guy is making a huge impact when it comes to mental health and when it comes to just sharing the stoke and making people's lives better. A big thank you, as always, to our sponsor, Drink Arepa. These guys are from New Zealanders as well. The New Zealand Neuroberry drink that is going to make your brain perform better. Short-term brain performance, long-term brain health, all tested by neuroscientists, all designed and developed by neuroscientists. So you're going to love this stuff. Use the code GOODHUMAN over on their website, drinkarepid.com, and you can get a big 25% off everything. I drink this stuff every day instead of my second coffee, and it just keeps my brain so clear and focused. Before I do my workshops, before I do uh, my podcasts, I always drink this stuff, and I absolutely love it. So go check them out. Also, Black Friday sales are now live on thegoodhumanfactory.com. If you head over there to shop, 50% off all winter merch. Oh, no, sorry. 40% off all winter merch, 50 and 60% off all old merch like the Be Kind of Your Mind shirts and last year's hoodies, and then 30% off everything else. Everything's automatically added to your store. Uh, so, sorry, to your cart. So all you have to do is put it in your cart. The discount comes off straight away once it hits your cart. And yeah, a good way to support the Good Human Factory, but a great way to get some like Nice positive presents for family members for Christmas. Give them a gratitude tea. Let them know how much you love them. And yeah, it's a really good way to help support what we're doing here with the Good Human Factory because, yeah, this merch is a way to spread the message but also to keep the Good Human Factory flowing. So go support the merch. It means so much to me. And yeah, I absolutely love seeing you guys wear it around in your community. So grab some stuff. Big discount right now, thegoodhumanfactory.com. Okay, so today's episode, Jackie. Oh, I've been chatting to Jack for quite some time on social media we got connected through a friend of mine and he's like you've got to meet jack he's doing similar things to you but in new zealand and he's a legend so we'd been touching base over social media for almost a year now and finally we got to connect he was over in australia for the v8 supercars on the gold coast and i just lived down the road so we caught up we actually didn't do the podcast that day because we didn't get a chance to but i was like we'll do it over zoom so when he got home a few days later we caught up over zoom and yeah did a podcast I love getting to know his story. He's, um, yeah, really interesting story. He was super into his rugby, just like everyone over in New Zealand, wanting to be an all-black one day. But he was also into extreme sports, from motorbike riding, surfing, snowboarding, and everything in between, and just really wanted to make life about having fun and having a good time. And he started a thing called Misfit Productions, where he created a community of people just sharing the stoke, trying to get the most out of life. And yeah, he lost a few friends to suicide, which is a bit of a forewarning. There is a few heavy parts in this chat. If you are struggling and it's not the right time to listen right now, um, please don't listen to today's episode. Or if you are feeling like you're in crisis, call Lifeline on 13, 11, 14. But if you're in a good spot to listen to this episode, there is many, many positive parts to it. So yeah, go check it out. But yeah, Jack lost a few friends to suicide and was like, we need to do something about this. So he created a thing called Spark That Chat, which has just been going mad over in New Zealand trying to create conversations around mental health, create community events where people come together, have a good time, and just talk about mental health openly. So obviously this guy's very aligned with what I do. 
I really enjoyed this chat. I know you guys are going to love it too. If you do enjoy it, do me a favor. So many of you listen to the podcast, but don't actually subscribe. It takes about one second. Go to Spotify, go to Apple, hit the follow or subscribe button. It really helps us out. And most importantly, hit that five-star rating. I've been sitting at around a thousand five-star ratings across the two platforms for the last month or two. Take five seconds of your time. Go hit that five stars. And the best thing you can ever do is just tell a friend about the podcast. If you enjoy this episode, if you enjoy any of the other guest episodes, just tell a friend. It's a community of people who are just trying to be good humans. And that's what it is. We're all doing this together. I'm having these conversations so you all can grow and I can grow with you. So tell some friends. Let's get this thing growing throughout summer. And yeah, hopefully enjoy today's episode. How you going, brother? Yeah, good, bro. Thank you for having me. Stoked to be here. It's been a, it's been a minute and... Uh... Yeah, and to be on. I know, it's been quite the journey to do this. We've been talking about it for quite some time. You were in Australia, actually, a few weeks back, and we caught up and went for a surf, and we're going to do the podcast, and then both of our lives just got too busy to do it in person. So I was like, I promise you, we're going to do this episode. So we're catching up over Zoom. You're over in New Zealand, and, mate, I'm really excited to get to know the story. We have such a similar journey i think from extreme sport to mental health and so many things and that's kind of how i got introduced to you a good friend of mine sam moore who i used to work alongside with quite a bit who does fist motorbike gloves uh was like you got to meet this jack guy from over in new zealand he's basically you but the new zealand version and we've been connecting <laughs> on socials for the last uh 12 to 18 months and finally i'm gonna get to hear your story so mate how you going yeah good bro no that's it's it's epic it's cool how like you know the link and and when you're cut from the same cloth, bro, no matter where you're at, and, you know, this is the the glorious and positive thing about social media and how you can connect with all these different roosters from around the world, but um, you get it, you get one another. So, no, nah, it's, it's cool, bro. It's very, very stoked to connect. And, yeah, like you said, bro, stoked to catch up for a wave a couple of weeks ago and, yeah, pumped to be here again, so yeah right, good, Although, bro, good. You, you did almost get washed in New Zealand we went surfing at Snapper and me and the boys <laughs> me and Corey and Dylan were like oh yeah we'll just go for like a nice hour hour and a half surf and we're like come in and for like an hour and a half we're like looking around the streets like where is Jack first time you'd ever surf there and you got lost when you came in but you're like oh bro I surf for four hours usually and we're just like far out we almost <laughs> left it there <laughs> yeah mate that's pretty classic of um of me with the long surf sesh but yeah that was something else bro um but it was classic rolling in after the waves as well and getting lost and snap and be like i'm sure i've seen this before and then i went back to the spot the car was gone you boys were looking for me but then we then we managed to cross paths pretty early so that was good i know it was good i mean you're you're, you're excused your first ever surf at snapper rocks if you're having a good time, you're allowed to stay out there. So it's all good. Yeah, sure, bro. <laughs> but let's jump into this chat, man. The thing I do open all of the episodes with is what are you grateful for right now in life? What am I great? That's a, you know, it's a great question, bro. Um, and I try to practice this every day as well. As, as we know, gratitude is a very powerful tool to have in the mental health toolkit. So I'm, um, I'm massively grateful for, my family, my son, my, you know, three and a half month old son, bro. He's brought another, just another level of love to, to existence for me. Um, and you know, my family around me that is, that's helped with the journey, my incredible partner, Mickey for being such a legend. Um, and then also like a huge one that day on the daily as well, because of the injuries i've had over the years health health 
I'm super grateful for like my fitness, my strength. Um, I am finding a little bit of a, a niggle as um, you would have seen when I was strapped up surfing a couple of weeks ago, but um, yeah, largely bro, just health as wealth. So um, yeah, just super grateful for those, for those things that, yeah, as I'm, I feel just stoked to have that these real, yeah, I guess you could say simple, but the most amazing stuff to have. Um, so yeah, those things I'm very grateful for, brother. Good on you, man. I love that. I saw on social. I didn't know you had a kid when you were out here the other week. That you just had a kid too. Congratulations. That's um so exciting. It's going to add a whole new element to the end of this podcast when we get to chat about it. So I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Another thing I normally open my podcast with is an Arepa Cheers. Arepa is actually from over on your island called New Zealand. Have, have you seen it? You've seen it before, right? Yeah, big time, bro. Yeah. I'm going yeah. to get them to send you some, but you don't have one with you, but I've got one with me. So I'm going to open one and have a sip because it's going to make my brain perform better for this yeah. podcast. Good stuff. And yeah, like I, I said, it. I'm going to send you some. Send no, I heard it's great. It's great. Yeah. Eh? The, the um, Bro Zane, who you've caught up with as well from For All The Brothers, I see doing amazing stuff well i see the most of it come from you two um with the ripper so yeah good stuff Must yeah zane, good. zane's a legend i've had him on the potty he's um a really good man doing some cool stuff but today's about you today's <laughs> getting to know your story as i said we've kind of been connecting for a while on socials mm-hmm. and whatnot seeing each other from the outside in but today in a weird way i'm going to learn you from the inside out i don't know <laughs> <laughs> no but today we're going to like get to know your story rewind back to the beginning kind of work our way up to uh understand why you are the man you are today so let's go back to the start where were you born what was life like as a kid any siblings family life anything i need to know that kind of shaped you to be who you are going into your teen years yes yeah, sick bro um so born and bred in hawks bay off a sheep and beef farm um 20 minutes south of havelock north um ah uh, yeah again very very fortunate to be able to have this upbringing and and I think a huge amount of stuff that I learned on the farm I grew up across the across the paddock I run across the paddock from my grandparents so they've been like um parent figures in my life as well a sister two stepsisters um stepdad who's awesome uh and yeah dad and mum who are also very incredible and we are really tight family on both sides of my family bro I'm so fortunate to have just the real tightness and love that you know I understand that's definitely not a given um but like very very stoked to have that and so we have like a real connection with our family so I'm really family oriented family's number one for me like above anything else like they are number one to spend as much time as I can with, with with them when they get the opportunity. And, you know, um, yeah. So yeah, growing up on a farm, um, I think a huge part of who I am today comes down to what I learned on the farm and growing up. Um, for example, uh, sometimes uh, having to be called back, oh, well, a lot of the time actually through school holidays, having to um, work on the farm and we had vineyards as well um so yeah being called in while the mates are out there doing out there playing and and up to semantics or whatever i'll be working on the farm and and also seeing throughout life um at yeah just the way of farming um when you know when there's an issue when there's a broken fence where there's dead stock where there's um sick stock 
uh, whether there's flooding, uh, the first thing you do is rip into it. So if mm. there's an issue to be handled, if there's a thing to be done, getting into it, ripping straight into it, not, um, you know, I get, you know, thinking and, and, but not for long and then just jumping into it and giving it a crack and fixing that fence and crouching those sheep. And I guess the hard yakka of um, farming, I think has really built me to who I am today and, and my work ethic, my resilience, um, all those things. So I'm very, you know, at the time as a grommet, I might've been and not too stoked to be made to work two weeks on the, on the farm or in the vineyards. Well, the mates are out there playing, but I look back at that and it's like, that's the golden shit right there. Um, you know, mm. doing the stuff, doing the stuff and getting it done the best way you can, even if you don't want to do it. Um, I think that, that has grown to be a superpower, eh? So, yeah. I, I love that. It's a great reflection to understand and be able to look back. And even though, like you said, they mightn't have been your favourite days at the time, you can look back with, I guess, respect to your parents that they helped you or asked you to help. And uh, yeah, it's great. They made me, made me to help. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> there's, no, there's no question. <laughs> you mentioned that you've got a stepdad, two stepsisters. How old were you when your um, parents broke up? Because the way that you kind of, it sounded like you explained them is it's quite still healthy, which is quite rare. And I, and I love to hear when people's split, but then still have a healthy relationship for their kids. So what was that like for you? Um, separation and then growing up with a stepdad and stepsisters? Yeah, bro. Um, so I was four. Uh, okay. so I was, I have, I have the memory to date of when it happened, when mum told me and what we're up to and where we were and everything, which is pretty wild to look back at four years old. But I also, uh, couldn't imagine life any, any different. Um, I feel so blessed and to have, to be able to have like the, the separate lives, but together that I've had with mum moving into town um and dad being based out on the farm and riding dirt bikes and farming and and everything that we've done out there but to have the the town life as well where they're growing up through teenage years and stuff into parties and mm. and checks and and things like that bro that I've been able to grow up and and have basically the best of both worlds I could explain it um but yeah, bro, no, I'm, I'm so grateful and stoked to have my two stepsisters. Um, she in the older one, Ashley, she's just had a, a little boy. He's just over one now as well. So little George, so that's cool as and and my stepdad's a legend. He's the and the, you know, he's he's ridden Harleys and he's the forever and he's the through and through biker and just like again, a different walk of life that's I'm so stoked to call family. So yeah, no, nah, very it's wild how the world works bro yeah but. yeah no I love that I asked that question because I think that's going to really set the scene a bit with how you have this love for extreme sport and getting out there and ripping in like you did on the farm with your dad but then also I don't want to talk down to anyone but just also the kind of brains and creativity and work ethic to make it happen in the city as well like we're going to get it up to talking about your production company talk about the work that you're doing right now so it sounds like you kind of have mixed both worlds really well at this stage of your life now which which we're going to catch up to yeah yeah for sure bro so so let's talk about you start high school about 12 13 years old yeah. What was that experience like for you? People sometimes hate school, sometimes love school. Where do you fit in that? Yeah, no, I've, I've loved school, bro, for sure. So 12, 13 years old, um, I played 
Rochelle rugby, which is like the it's basically like at the time, bro, it's like the all blacks of of the of being a kid. Um, and you feel like it, and it's a, a real prestige tournament. And I actually ended up captaining the winning team. Um, so before coming into school, uh, to high school, sorry. So I ended up getting a scholarship into into Hastings Boys, the prestigious Hastings Boys, which is a decile, I think at the time, bro, it could have been a decile one or two. Um, so very much was that very all... top level school? No, opposite. Oh, so bottom very, level school. Yeah, yeah. And just because of the different walks of life, bro. Um the yeah, it was pretty incredible. We couldn't imagine life any different, bro. But hard out sports. So that a, a rugby academy that was super inviting, that was like a real pull um, to, to go there and got so be was, asked to go there. So it was a rough school, but had a good footy program. I'd say I, would, I wouldn't, I don't know. Depends who you, I wouldn't say rough school, bro, but like it had all walks of life. So, okay. and that's, and I look back, bro, and see absolutely that's what shaped me to who I am today mm-hmm. um, by managing and the dynamic of different walks of life, bro. From people, I went to school with young fellas that didn't get sent to school with, um, they didn't have a bed at home and they didn't have lunch to eat and they didn't have family to turn up to their school parent-teacher interviews. But I also had mates there and so I had mates in that you know, like mixing and playing footy, the camaraderie of school, but then mates there that were millionaires and, and have lot from backgrounds and all walks of life, bro. So like okay. from the top of the top through to working class, through to poverty. Um, okay. So it was a real, yeah, it's sports strong. Definitely Hastings boys. So it was, I think at the time there's 700 boys there. I think it could have been up now and but like the rugby program was real strong and like the gym and basketball and stuff like that. So it was real attractive in our eyes. And we knew it was, I had cousins that went there. Um, and then there's, you know, ex pro rugby players and, and um, all sorts of characters, P Diggs, who's shapeshifter who went there and he's a legend. Um, so it's helped shape a lot of young men into who they are. And looking through that whole process of what five years, um, you know, I, I don't know if we're jumping ahead, bro. Is there anything no, you want? No, no, just tell me what like... that school experience was like. Did you think at the end of school you knew what you were going to do for work? Do you feel like school set you up? What skills do you think you missed out that you wish you learned? It was, I, bro, I, I look back at school and have no regrets. Eh? Um, I think, uh, like, especially our age group, my best mate ended up becoming head boy, who's an absolute legend of a bloke. He's absolute, uh, He's actually... Um, and based out of Aussie now, and he's playing uh, rugby in Hong Kong, and he's a top man. So him and I are like uh, brothers through and through. So and I was house captain, and and was up to all sorts of stuff with sports, um, racing motocross hard out because you know I was at the elite top end of junior motocross here in New Zealand, and the dynamic of when really things what got quite tough in the dynamic between rugby and moto. I was starting to, as a real young fella, come through the academy, was playing really good rugby and had the opportunity to play first 15 and get in the camp when I was year 10, at the end of year 10. And then, which is 
what a 14 yeah 14 years old playing with 17 18 year olds size of you know a young boy playing with these start to be men and some of them had some in there, bro. big boys yeah. in New Zealand <laughs> at 18 oh my god yeah. I imagine. yeah bro so it was quite a like a, a wild time there because both my moto was going super hard like you know I was top five in the country throughout um so it was like a real dynamic and what comes with motocross injuries bro and a lot of them so you know I've broken 17 bones over the yeah. course of my life and um again wouldn't be the man i am today without that stuff but throughout that time that becomes like at that time of crossover i actually um i broke my back for fractured vertebrae and tore my groin that same summer i got selected for this you know the squad for first when i was year 10 which is you i think i was one of three um or one of two um so I came literally, the race was the weekend before I school started the year before and I came to school on a Zimmer frame. Wow. <laughs> um, so that was like, I think from there, bro, for the next three years, it was a pretty tough relationship around the rugby moto dynamic, especially for coaches. I definitely mm. prized myself on being the hardest worker in the room. Um, and that's, I think, my my own superpower. And that's what I continued to do, even if I was injured. If, if, but when I came back around fitness and bringing people up with the team and things like that. But the whole experience around whether that be selection or injury or schooling or walks of life, um, it was, yeah, it's a, again, at a school like that, it was, I felt like uh, the experience was incredible. The freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the dynamic of learning that the saying is, and dad taught me this saying is, you know, being able to have the ability to have bears with the shearers, you know, in the wool shed after shearing sheep, hard cases or going and having tea with the queen. So I think like that really taught a lot of people skills for me, mm. um, and learning about culture and background and that I'm very thankful for that I definitely, and yeah, the man I am with from that. Mate, I love that. It sounds like a similar in ways experience to my school experience. I was like pushing hard with surfing and rugby union as well. And then I got to like 13, 14 and kind of went, nah, I'd rather train surfing than train footy. So I went that route. Is that kind of how it was for you with extreme sports going like footy? What do I do here? And then you have this big injury, you break your back and you're like, oh, it's going to be hard to come back to footy or... Nah, bro. I think in that, like, my mentality is like, get knocked down, get back up, come back stronger. And I think that's like, again, I reflect back to upbringing and farming and stuff, building the strength, building the fence stronger than it was before to be able mm. to manage bigger floods. So, like, but it, but it starts to become very hard to juggle a top level career yeah. in two different sports and coming back from an injury. Let's talk about now, like the last year mm. of high school, where do you think school or like life was going after school? Did you go study? Did you continue to follow rugby after school? Did you go the extreme mm. sport route? Tell me, um, tell me the last year of school, what was going through your head and then the first year after. Yeah. Mimo. So um, last year of school, it was epic. Um, the freedom and, and I think the man I was growing into as a leader as well, um throughout peers but also you know teams and 
but yeah, the dynamic again, bro, between action sports and rugby, um, the commitment of rugby, you know, you as a as a like a with first fifteen footy over here, it is like treated like a on coming up professional footy, you know, your your trainings and your the team dynamic and the the games away and traveling and things like that. Um as well as the dynamic, like you said, bro, of deciding it comes sort of down to that point of around you know juggling motocross and and you know I was, I was and then bro like I was still hissing throughout with mountain biking surfing snowboarding and or skiing at the time actually before I jumped over but like that was the lifestyle but yeah definitely the yeah I went super hard with footy but I also went super hard with moto so it was Again, this clash, and it probably came down to like the more the coaches and the management side that really didn't like that I was racing elite motocross, just knowing risk, um, as well as being able to, because you know I understand around like um, you having a responsibility um, and holding that within a team as well, and but yeah, bro. Outside of that, like um, it was epic, a lot of you know, like fun partying and and things like that. But I also as well throughout, I was definitely like the mo- mainly designated driver in the Ute license or no license. Um, but uh, because of just I wasn't a big drinker with um racing bikes at an elite level and rugby. Just knowing, <laughs> don't get me wrong, had a fair share of partying, but um. Yeah, I guess the whole yeah, it was a I haven't, you know, talked about seventh form for a lot for a for a long time. So it's cool to reflect back. But yeah, it was it was an awesome time for sure. What and did, I look back on great as grateful for it. No, I love that, man. What did you think after school was gonna look like for you when you were finishing? Yeah, so um I had the I was wanting to, there was one or two things I could do. There was um that it came down to. Um, there was going and doing my best to be able to race for a European team over like a New Zealand based European team that I was striving to wanting to race for. Um, and then there was university. One was paving my own path and one was still living out of dad's checkbook. So I really got to that point of like, you know, as you're growing into who you are and, and direction and stuff. And I really did choose the, I just wanted to do my own thing. Um, you know, I'd like flat out racing, lived and breathed it since I was eight years old all the way through and sort of made the decision to pursue going hard with rugby, um, and just doing my own thing with university to get a degree. And I've always as well, but my family, I've been brought up with, you know, get the ticket, um, go and do what you got to do to get a plan B um, and yeah that's but yeah that was the decision I ended up making um, and again like it came down to some certain things that happened throughout that last year of me and making some dumbass decisions when I was at the pinnacle of junior motocross crossing over to senior where I broke myself um, and yeah so it was so we decided to go to uni. So that was That's, the next step. So you let go of the motocross dream to sort of put it on hold to go to uni and look at it more of a fun freestyle thing. Were you playing footy at uni? 
Yeah, so flat out rugby. So I came, yeah. went down to varsity that next year. Um, again, like, <clears throat> like this love moto, but had a little time aside. Um, <clears throat> I guess the racing, <clears throat> I guess the racing dream, sort of over that. Just like because if you don't really crack it at that age into getting into teams, or you do go and put it all on the line overseas, the racing is um yeah it sort of fades because yeah. there's already that next turn turnover so i sort of in my mind bro um i was just moto is going to be there forever for me moto is going to be there forever but this is the direction i'm going to go i'm still going to ride when i get back home and stuff but um for the love of it um and still do big jumps and things like that i've always been drawn to big jumps throwing big whips since i was a grom so like keeping that fire alive but put my efforts and time into focusing on uni the rad times and um footy so that's what'd where you, I what'd you study at uni um i studied so i've got a degree in um agri-commerce majoring in international agribusiness so it came down to which is hard case um, is like farming is that to do with potentially yeah. one day ending up back on the farm it was more just the fact, bro. So like selecting, um, selecting a degree and there was like a week or two to go before it closed. And I was like looking through and I was just like, oh yeah, I've been born and bred off a farm. I'm just going to choose that one and run with it. So that's basically what I did, bro. And um, again, like not, yeah, at, like having a passion for farming and outdoors, like that was real cool. And also, what I'm stoked with was the mingling with the other like sort of born and bred farm kids that have rolled in from all around the countryside to uni. Um, so yeah, first year was, was all time, man. Like <laughs> I look back on that and it was a hell of a good time. And whether that playing, you know, it was in between bees and Prem's rugby um, as a fresher um, to partying hard and, and meeting some incredible people and having a lot of good times. Yeah, wow. Four-year degree? Uh, it was three. Managed to get it in three. A few of the boys did it in four. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about year two and three. Year one's great. Did you make it into yeah, Premier yeah. Team for year two and three? Yeah, so year one was outstanding. So it set up into it, and I managed to pass everything, which is an absolute bonus. Um, but, yeah, rolling into to year two, um. Yeah, it was it was a great summer. Worked on a farm, uh, as a farm hand shepherding, and that was wicked. And surfed a lot, um, chased a lot of missions, did a lot of traveling across the country with festivals and stuff. And then it was time to roll back. Um, I actually was just come back from cloud break. Did a did a surf mission over to Cloudies, um, and then rolled back in, and it was time to go to uni. And sorry, in between, I should probably say, which has been a massively defying factor of what I'm up to now, is that towards the end of uh, year one, I got basically called up, called into, and um, landed a job with Red Bull. So I was the student student brand manager um, for Red Bull for two and a half, two two years down while studying. So I was, yeah, bro. So I rolled into year two, um, frothing. So straight out of cloudies and, um, and coming into O week, which was, which was massive and landing a job with the dream company 
I've been watching forever and watch Travis do double flips and these incredible athletes do amazing things. So it was a real sick, like, fuel to the fire of my action sports side. And my, I guess that's where the dream continued to roll on um, and give perspective. So, yeah, rolled into to year two and, um, yeah, had a, had a couple of couple of challenges early in the time with dumbass decisions um, that I made um, that nearly resulted in really hurting myself uh, on the just being so fizzed up on life but dumbass around the party scene um, that yeah uh, we we won't go too far into it that will be another another time but that was a real defying point as well around responsibility and who I made me grow up pretty fast um from that so so it started the year again on these massive highs these crazy lows but then just like with a perspective that was pretty pretty wild and and again like come down to gratitude because it tell came me about, don't tell me what happened but tell me about coming back from the lows because for someone who obviously has such a zest for life, you're a high achiever, you're making the top level teams, you're in the footy, t- um, you're in the top of the motocross, you make this big mistake. As I said, maybe we'll talk about it after, but how was it coming back from that? How, how What did you use to bring yourself back from a dark place and after being in such a good spot for a while? I think the, the biggest one for me was the fact what made it so tough on me because I'm so much, I love people and I love my family. Like, and I saw I, by me nearly carking it myself and the, the effect that had on the people that love me the most, that was the most hardcore thing to see that I was, I saw so selfish Mm. and just so stupid of nearly throwing something so incredible away for nothing. So it was like coming back from that, it was a real, it was a real grow up moment. Like it was like a, what are you, what, you you know, like you've got to respect these certain things and, and you've just, yeah, you've just got to be better at decision-making in that way. Like you've got to think outside. It's not just you, you're not bulletproof. Mm. So it was quite a wake up call. Pardon? wake up call yeah big wake up call man um that i don't again like i don't think without it i'd be the man i am today because that gave me a real perspective and insight into bouncing back from that that i just made sure i didn't do it again ever and Mm. had the the respect there to not ever be in the situation where i'd do it again um and that i've got too much to live for i felt Mm. like an idiot bro so it was like it was real bouncing back from that and what I did after that. Yeah. That was, yeah. Rising up and, and doing what I did and continued to climb um, with everything. And, and again, direction. Um, and I was hard out like within that time as well with working with Red Bull. I was just a sponge, man. I was, you know, meeting some incredible people, doing some epic stuff, holding down the brand um, and, and and Palmerston North and Manu too, and linking up and doing parties down in Dunedin and with other and and Christchurch and Auckland and 
Wellington and just this it really opened the mind and the dynamic of I guess possibilities um and the scene I really um just drawn to it. yeah and gravitated mm. towards so yeah. I'm between that and and starting as well like it was, uh, I was still playing hard out footy like all the way through uni. So for three years, like at Prem's level um, and changed clubs the third year just to play more Prem's footy, um, which was for a more of a um, a country club, which was epic. Again, like going back to felt like the cross between the roots and footy and mm. it was epic uh, and the culture was real awesome. Um, but like I was really starting to gravitate and, and do more surfing and mountain missions and a lot of like every time I'd get back home I'd jump on the dirt bike that was my race bike as a junior and just go and throw the thing upside down over big jumps and like just be just love it so it was mm. like this snowball effect or this something this this spark the flames that were starting to kindle the what 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 I'm up to you know now so it's no. pretty cool to look back on on that. No, I love that. So let, let's talk about now finishing uni. Seems like you didn't use your agriculture commerce degree just yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so let's, yeah. let's, let's talk about finishing uni, how you found yourself starting Misfit Productions. And um, I really want to go into Spark That Chat and how that came about. So let's um let's go there now. What happened when you finished uni? Yeah, cool. So third year, um, that was pretty epic. I was stoked to get it done in three years because I actually failed a paper uh, that I had to do four or what is it five papers instead of four so I had to add that to everything else to be able to finish in the three years um, and that was awesome so we're rolling out a third year and crossing over into to entering the big bad world which was pretty damn exciting um, it was the last year of uni actually bro where I started Misfit Productions um, as a concept and idea around because I've always loved shooting content, like whether that be, you know, us as Groms were um, Hawk, like misfits, Hawks Bay misfits, just wreaking havoc across the countryside and Hawks Bay as Groms. So like from this crew from when we're 13, 14 years old, whether that be surfing, moto, mountain biking, rugby, rugby league, hunting, wakeboarding, everything like, that you know outdoors we're so lucky to have here in Hawke's Bay us groms come together and just partied and festivals and charged large and had a lot of fun and then I took that yeah took that name Misfits and like you know what what the whole what lays behind that and the stoke and the sending and the good times to to Misfit Productions so started like creating content throughout university on missions and stuff um to be able to capture it for memories mainly and shooting it on dad's gopro so i you know stole dad's gopro when i was 16 and started filming us getting up to antics and and uh on these missions then turning it into videos and then i started so i was like oh may as well you know start putting it out there there's youtube that was that was humming never have understood how youtube really works but started chucking um set content up on youtube of our missions and started a facebook page um and then that's where it all began and and basically what initiated the most crap you know this what what i'm up to now was i probably had maybe a hundred followers or subscribers on youtube and 
probably under 10 videos up on YouTube. And I got hit up by this company that ran in-flight entertainment for Air New Zealand. So they approached me as like this in last year, sort of fading towards the, the middle of the last year of uni. And we're like, I got a message saying, "Would uh, you know, we've seen your content. We love it. We love like what it's all about and what you're up to from the hunting through the motorbike, surfing, adventures. We're keen to get five, six of your videos up on every single international Air New Zealand flight. And I was like, piss off. Like, you know, the amount of creators, the amount of people out there creating videos and like, you know, travel and whatever. And I was like, this is a scam. And I remember sitting in the van heading towards uh, rugby training um, at Takawa and opening this message and being like, this feels a bit bit sus. So anyway, dive more into it, got on a call that next day and boom, signed a contract to supply a Misfit Productions channel um, for six months of screening on all international Air New Zealand flights. So that's when I was like, wow, this is a this is something, this is something special here. There's an opportunity here. There's a there's a place for what I re- what I do as a wow. creative, but as a sender, but as a, you know, the, the relationships, the people that there's a, you know, there's a in this big bro, in New Zealand was my first client. And I was like, That's this grown man made a Facebook page and a YouTube out of this concept of stoking out in life, getting amongst it, sending it with your mates. So that was like crazy. So I ended up signing four seasons of six months with those guys throughout yeah. the next few years. And, and did they but, just give you guys budget to go on missions to film stuff kind of thing? Or they, it was just like they were buying the content to screen on the on the screens. Oh, so you'd already uh, made it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was already rides. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Fully. Yeah, yeah. fully. So that. Like, so and like it's um compared to, you know, like the the money nowadays and of course, but like peanuts, bro. But the point was That's I was eyeballs. Getting paid. Yeah, bro. It, for sure. For sure. But it was like even the I think out of anything, and you'd be understand this, bro. When you when you love something so much and you're dreaming about doing it, and when you even get a first paycheck to like do exactly what you love doing that mm. you've dreamt of that you didn't even know was a possibility that, you know, you get that. That's just like a massive confidence boost and a massive like, yeah, bro. So that's how as a dream it really just blew the mind open with the crossover between Red Bull and starting my own thing and the amount of inspiration I drew and amount of knowledge I drew from Red Bull to bring it over to, you know, now my brand and business with Misfit Productions now. So, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. What a sick story, man. I absolutely love that. We're going to come back to Misfit Productions, but where did spark that chat come from? Tell me about that concept. Was that pretty far down the line with Misfit or was it kind of two, two, three years in by my calculations? Um, so started Misfit Productions 2017. That was the last year of uni. Um, and then I officially started Spark That Chat's first campaign, March, 2021. And um, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty crazy how you know you're, you're shaped by you're shaped by the experiences that you experience over life and um 
this really came like, you know, I was always passionate. Misfits was all about always spreading the froth. And that's our tag, spreading the froth. It's about to get people stoked on, you know, if they see our content and what we're up to, it's basically just wanting to gas them up to go and do it themselves in whatever way that is, is whatever they love. Just get out there, do it as much as you can with the people you love. That has been like the ethos since day dot of starting Misfits. Um, but so our crew has been so tired and incredible and change forever changing but you know people coming and going but core people being around and that's when um we I lost my yeah first first mate to suicide being Rito um in November 2020 yeah and um that's yeah that's where spark that chat the whole idea around spark that chat and this mental health movement that we've started it come about it was um yeah it, it was it was pretty yeah well it doesn't get any more gnarly than that and yeah. to go through that and we'd never thought ever that you know we i i lost um some mutual friends one being mid 50s and the other being 18 within six months before rito took his life um and it was yeah it was um it was a pretty wild, yeah, wild time, bro. Like uh, reflecting back on that when time, you know, within even that, I remember the first 10 days was like one day for the whole crew. I, I remember the phone call when my cousin gave me the call and and it was just, yeah. It was, uh, I, yeah, it's gnarly. So anyway, um, that that time was super, super tough. And, but, you know, as I, as I go back to what I do, and who I am, no matter what curveballs or tough things or walls get put up or the biggest curveballs ever, something that you'd never, ever think of happening, um, reacting to it and doing the best I possibly can as an optimist to be able to do what I can to help my friends, family through this, but also understanding that, you know, at that point of time, having the responsibility with misfits and, you know, it's, it was a third of the size of what it is now, but we still had a big platform to be able to connect, to talk to people on the daily, to be able to connect and, and to these people on the daily and connect to them, not only about the stoke, but about also the other side of life that everyone goes through. So, and we pride ourselves and myself and misfits that everything you see in front of the camera is exactly what you get when the camera's off. Um, so that really cracked open a side and a passion that I understood that had to be talked about, that to be able to help people, we had to talk about it. We had to spark that chat. And knowing the absolute power conversation and vulnerability can have to not only help lives, but you can save lives by a conversation. Mm. So it was a it was a big eye opener of you know we're we're very active on socials, bro, on the daily with posting content and things, and and have been since the beginning around consistency and just we're doing so much cool shit. We're just wanting to pump it out there. So it was the the day of and day after. I put, oh, day after I put up a video, a very raw, real video of um 
just explaining that we just lost a just lost a mate to to suicide and and um and just posted it up not thinking of anything about it but just saying we're just going to be off socials and if any of you guys out there are in this position or situation please just talk to your mates please reach out and talk to your family someone because I don't want anyone feeling like I am right now so I went off socials for what 48 hours bro and then picked the phone up and basically the inbox was just blowing up with um with a lot of people reaching out saying they're they're talking about their experience with it and bro it was phenomenal the amount of people that could relate that really struck a chord within me that I was like you know I I had messages from fellas saying um I've lost uncles I've lost a brother I've lost this I've lost a sister I've lost a son I've lost a dad I've lost a granddad like all, all the things you can imagine like and saying, but it will be okay. It will be okay. Time is the biggest healer, and you know, stick around your mates, and I'm here for you, and we're here for you. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, this is way too common. This is like what I, I had no idea to the point of like the detriment of it was. It was in people's lives like I wouldn't believe and wouldn't ever wish. It, like, yeah, yeah. So, bro, from there, I was just like, got to do something about this got to speak about it got to spark that chat and that's when throughout that time of grieving and um and that that point of reacting and again utilizing what we have to be able to help as many people as we can not only to stay stoked but understanding we can really connect with people that feel like shit as well and it's all good too but hey don't stay down here's some stuff that we can get you going and helping you through this to inspire and encourage and that's where we where i decided to dedicate the entire month of march being rito's birth like his birth um month and um dedicating the whole month of march to every single day every single thing that we post up on misfits every piece of content comes back to the point of sparking that chat so you know now we've done it for three years and um i've lost two more mates since rito and from different um groups and my life experience and understand it's it's a thing that you know you can't help everyone but you can do your best um and you can only do as good as you good as you can so and and just the the feedback from the people that we i have helped and we have helped bro has been incredible to read messages of saving their life through the content we've been producing and putting out there or messages getting the fact of saying hey I saw your spark that chat and saw what you guys are up to and it inspired me to to spark a conversation with a mate that I had no idea that was going through hell and that he's suicidal and he said if he didn't have that conversation then quite likely he wouldn't have a mate that week so it was like it's those those messages those one messages those that are just like the utmost fire and that just pumps the fuel and the gas in the tank to be able to just continue to do what we can through what we do action sports content events what we bring to the table to be able to inspire and bring people together and 
be like you know just inspire them to be their best selves and make the most of what we've got of whatever that is so yeah well good on you man for uh, sorry so sorry to hear about your maid and the other two prior and then the two since obviously this podcast has a mental health theme to it so i really appreciate and i'm so so grateful for the work that you are doing for your communities over there in new zealand and the content you make is spreading so far and wide and to understand the origin story now a bit better. It just makes me even more proud of what you're doing, man. So you should be, um, yeah, super stoked. I know you're helping so many and will help so many more. I want to just quickly, before we wrap up, talk about dad life. Tell <laughs> me what it's like, mate. Three weeks in, how's life changed? Three, three and a half months in, bro. Three and a half, three and a half. I thought I yeah, thought yeah. I said three yeah, weeks, no, three months. Still very fresh though. Um, it's uh, it's been incredible. Like it's been again, like challenging, how challenging, but so awesome. Like, yeah, it's again added like another another level of life to everything. Eh, like in my my. It goes like it's crazy how when you become a dad, um, like how everything all of a sudden just revolves around the little guy. And I feel like as soon as he turned up on the scene, the superpower he gave me to understand what matters, what really honestly matters, and who matters. And um, and that was like a huge like it lifted a lot of weight off the shoulders and and gave me a lot of clarity which was crazy and like I can't even explain it until you become a dad yourself bro and or dad's out there listening like and they'll be able to get it but yeah it was it's been an incredible experience and I'm again so lucky to have my partner who's just the the best mum little Oakley could ever ever ask for um and to be doing it with her and again that the respect for women bro holy hecka that just women are incredible man and like when you when you see them that like you know with the process of being pregnant to giving birth to to becoming mums like just that it's been so incredible to see to see my partner just grow into this amazing mum straight off the bat like she's born to be um so it was it's again like yeah it's been it's been incredible a lot a bit less sleep but to be fair, my partner's getting less sleep than I am. Um, but it's been a, yeah, it's been a hell of a ride. And and I'm just it, just seeing him change on the daily, seeing him, you know, even being away in Aussie and being away on another film project the couple of weeks before in the South, like even over five and six days, these different things that he picks up on and learns, like, so cool. So just, yeah, it brings back to absolute presence. As soon as I'm with him, so no matter what the day's looking like and being manic with business and spark that, you know, everything that's going on, as soon as I pick him up, it's just like, boom, presence. Like right here, right now, that's all that matters. I'm looking into this little fella's eyes and he's giving big smiles and I'm just like, shit, doesn't get any better than this. Man. So yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty wild. I love that, bro. Congratulations. Thanks for sharing that little segment. It's, um, so cool to see like how you speak about that. You speak about your partner, you speak about mums and yeah, dads out there who get to experience the um, beauty of having a child. So hopefully one day I'll, I'll get to experience that too. Yes. One last story that I want to hear from you. You lost half of your big toe. 
What happened? Yes. Yes, bro. That was um that was a wild uh that was a wild experience. Um I had a huge well April last year. Um I was out riding with the boys at this injury called Burn Buster and um and uh clipped a tree and I was exiting a corner. It was the only pine tree. We're humming, bro. Me and the bro Bryn, we were humming. We're actually both wearing GoPros as well, so it's on video, which is wild. Um so we're humming and then I like lined up, I was in the front leading out and then like gauge my turn, the it was a flat turn, um, and gauge my exit off the tree line I could see. Um, little did I know I popped around that that corner of trees and there was the one outlier outlining. So there's a whole line of trees and this one was the only tree and it was exactly on the pinnacle of the exit and I just absolutely like came through tried to bank as hard as I could right and just clip this tree man and uh I would have I was going fast and uh it like so I boom hit clip the tree with my left foot which ended up losing that half of the big toe as my toe basically exploded inside the boot which is wild it's hard to fathom and then it flipped my bike around and my leg went down and I snapped my fibula on my other leg um and that was oh I can I can remember I can remember the feeling I can remember the moment of when that happened and just my my foot slapped the other side of my leg and it was not right I thought I'd done a whole lot more worse than actually just snapping the foot I tore the ligaments and things like that as well obviously um but anyway so that was super gnarly that um I got I ended up I was like I was pumping with adrenaline and massive pain. I felt at like full pins and needles in my boot. It had no like real pain going on in my left foot. Like it was just chronic pins and needles, like like a wild sensation that ended up lasting for weeks on end. But um the the right leg, bro, I was just like, fuck, like this like the I knew I was pumping with adrenaline, so it was before the real pain landed. So I was I was, you know, frothing off that not frothing I wouldn't actually use that word I was yeah just in a real gnarly place and then I got late I managed to crawl over and lay off to the side of the track with some help and some mates and people riders that came past helped lift me over then I was like I need to get these boots off before the swelling starts and then because as soon as that swelling starts and they've got to get the boots off somehow and with motocross boots man they're hardcore so they're going to have to tug them off at some point so um Got my right boot off, I think, first, and that was with my broken ankle and then saw my ankle just starting to swell. And then I got that left boot off, bro, and I was like, what's going on down there? Like, all I could see, bro, from my side was my big toe. So usually my big toe is a bit shorter than the next one next to it. Well, this was like an inch longer. So I was like, what the fuck? What's going, what's going on here? Um and the boys i was like what's happening down there and the boys were like here's a i've got a hell of a codeine in my pack <laughs> so he got the mega codeine and the bro actually rolled a couple of j's <laughs> smack smack those so i was just wanting to get as much painkillers i'm in the middle of the forest no reception it's a ride day but like no comms off comms like pretty thick and gnarly um so smack those 
And, you know, little did they tell me my, I'd gloved my toe. So like down the, they could see the bottom of my foot and they could see into my bone and it was just completely pulled off and shredded. But I didn't know that. I'm stoked that I didn't know what it looked like on that side for that time. And then anyway, I was there for an hour. I was there for an hour um, laying on the, the side of the side of the track. And by then I was pretty, you know, pretty zonked out. Um, and then they came in uh, and picked me up on a quad. They took me to the medics tent. I was there for another hour before an hour, uh, maybe an hour and a half before the Ambo got there. The Ambo got there. That Ambo took me to a tree line where there was a 30-person chain to lift me out of the Ambo into a helicopter. So now we're talking probably probably four hours, four hours with everything just, yeah. And then they got me into the helicopter, and that's when they got me, like, jacked up on um, ketamine. Oh, yeah. yeah uh nah it was sort of yeah yeah what did i i think yeah they gave me the green whistle when i was in the medics tent and i was pretty like i was i managed to manage this whole situation with humor like i managed to like laugh through it i managed to just again do my best to stay as positive as i could even though i knew i really messed myself up um so even to the point of making the call with when i got to reception up in the helicopter being like hey uh to my partner and dad it's like hey um i'm all good but i'm just getting chopped back to hastings hospital <laughs> um, so they flew me into hastings hospital boat and i was by then they'd put me on pretty much everything it was like when they did the person chain uh, just the pain the excruciating pain in the legs but also just i was so high like it was crazy and then got to the, yeah, did the heli, flew in, and then got into the hospital. And by by the time, uh, it was a long time, bro. I My toe was gloved and I was, you know, my blood, it was like wrapped up and stuff. But by then all the blood flow had started to basically diminish to the end of my toe. And um, so they wrapped up and there was a lot of, I was, it wasn't, I think I went into my first, it was quite a blur, bro. Um, but I think I went into my first surgery night, like nine or 10 hours after it happened. So by then it was, it was pretty, but like on the late side to try save the toe. Um, but they, anyway, they put it back together. They put the bone back together because basically the bone obliterated into like a cloud at the end of it, but they managed to like push it back together <laughs> And um, sew it back on. It was a gnarly one, bro. You know, Albert Einstein sort of set up. Um, and then it was like, what was it? It was to Sunday to Thursday. And I had to wait four days with a fully broken ankle for four days in a hospital bed before they could get me in for surgery because there's just so many other things that were priority, like car accidents and things like that. So it was a, I was in hospital for seven days um and that was a yeah again wild experience um and mentally coming back from that was pretty hard out but even managing that but I lay in the bed bro as soon as like I'd had both surgeries and they'd put me back together once they'd put me back together I was able to like mentally be like all right I'm gonna I'm gonna start mending I can mend I can start mending now I wasn't broken like and um and so I got on that mind frame and I lay in the hospital bed and I was like 
wonder what I'm going to learn from this. Like, I wonder what I'm straight up going to learn from this experience. And um, yeah, it was physically the most toughest time of my life that I've had to overcome. Um, and then I think, what was it? 11 months, oh, maybe 10 months before. Oh, I had the goal. It's at the end of the season. I'd done that in April and I had the goal to ride to, to snowboard that season. And like, that was like one of my main goals. And I ended up doing it. So that was real cool to like overcome. I was in the gym training at High Performance Gym. They were incredible throughout the whole process. My trainer, Angus, and the team, it was incredible. I was in a wheelchair for 10 weeks as well because both of my legs were done. Um, but I got into the gym three weeks after and I just started cranking up a body and and um, core and things. And basically that, I for me, like, training gymming exercise physical pain in a really good way is is my anchor so whatever happens in my life i can go back to curveballs good bad whatever but bad that in this situation i can go back to exercise and i know that the feeling and the stoke that brings me and afterwards like the fulfillment i remember honestly leaving some of those sessions a lot of those sessions nearly like in a euphoric state of ecstasy like been in a wheelchair but still getting my ass to the gym and training and like getting the body moving and it was crazy so like again going back to the start doing the full 360 health is wealth bro so just like looking down at my body my fully capable fit healthy body and being like i can go and do whatever i want i'm going to train every day i'm going to i'm going to just do as much as i can physically to to while i'm here while i'm living you know, making mm -hmm. the most of it because it's those times, like I said, I've broken 17 bones over the course of my life of moto. And um, they were, I wouldn't be the man I am without that because that really has taught me that how incredible the body is and you can't overlook it. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, ended up like, you know, um, they sewed the toe back on. I did my absolute best to keep it. Um, it started to die two and a half weeks. First check, it went, started like frostbite. Um, the first checkup was pretty pretty uh, gnarly mentally because I was feeling really good, but the the surgeon said, "Hey, mate, high percentage. We're going to have to take the take the toe off." And that really um, that was a real mental battle for me because around the action sports and and it's a part of, you know it's a big part of what I do as an athlete and a job now and it was real scary around that just like the the knowledge and stigma around thinking that big toe is like balance it's it's a huge part of this and you sort of you know need it to be able to you know rip at high levels or whatever just um but anyway throughout that process of you know I'd leech therapy I flew up to Auckland and had leech therapy bro that was crazy so 30 blood-sucking leeches trying to connect like blood vessels to connect the toe so I did absolutely everything through the naturopath, like a lot of naturopathic work. Um, uh, a lot of um, what is it? Uh, the needles, needling, yeah, acupuncture, acupuncture, heaps of acupuncture. I backed that. That was just that was nearly like a therapy session at the same time with Shelley, who's incredible, based out of Havelock here. Um, but just did everything I possibly could. And then it, I, I managed to save it and was looking good, bad, blah, blah, blah. And then it went really downhill fast in week seven. And it looked like infection was starting to brew. And that's when I know that you don't 
mess around with that because it can lead to sepsis and you know bone and like that's when they take your foot off or your or your leg off you know so i was like bugger it I've done, my, I've done my absolute best to be able to save this thing um it's not meant to be i will man i will adapt to do whatever it takes to be able to get back to what i do because you know that I've I've just proven to myself that's the fact. So, um, yeah, and and drew a lot of inspiration around athletes that amputee athletes. One Peter Cowan, he lost his leg last year at school, bro, and um, or, yeah, his last year of school, and now he's you know he's doing um, he's doing world class canoeing. He's one of the best in the world at it with a prosthetic leg, and I and I train with him, and he's out of the same high performance team, and drew a lot of inspiration from him. And I felt, you know, it was quite hard case, even though it was like the toe versus the leg. I felt really, yeah, it was quite tough to manage that just mentally because I was like, his, you know, Peter, yours is so much more gnarly. And but he's go back to the point of like, you know, everyone's gnarly is gnarly, you know, yeah, exactly. no matter what levels that that is, everyone's big is big to what they have to deal with. So it was quite like the mental battle and had, yeah, again, the people around me and, mate, now I've just, yeah, I managed to, you know, straight off the bat of of conquering the injuries, um, managed to smash through what I've needed to do there. And I came back and landed the biggest sponsorship of my life at the moto of signing with Yamaha. Motoland Yamaha is a free rider. So I came back, jumped it back on the dirt bike and just went large again and like felt really good and, and shot this content piece of basically the comeback, the first ride back. And I was just throwing these big ass whips. And yeah, at that time, bro, that was straight after I managed to ride the most dreamier, like the biggest dream sponsorship of my life that I dreamt of as a kid. And, you know, mm. going back to the point of, bro, of when I was 17 years old, growing away from racing motocross and knowing that moto was going to be in my life and I wanted to make something of it throughout my career. And then being at this point and being 26 years old and landing like a full back sponsored ride with Yamaha as a free rider was like, whoa. <clears throat> yeah, bro. So it was a quite Man. a... Wow, what a chapter. Thank you for sharing that. I just wanted to, yeah, I know that story about losing, yeah, half of your toe was interesting, but getting to understand the whole journey of it is wild. It's, um, yeah, I love that you could look at it and go, okay, what lesson am I going to learn here? And I know anyone listening is going to be inspired by the way you speak about that. If you have that ability to go out there and really try and squeeze the most out of your life, or even if you don't, squeeze the most out of what you can out of the capabilities that you have. So I think everyone's going to be super inspired by that, but man, this has been um, a really fun chat. As I said, a long time coming and I'm glad we finally got to do it. I um, do finish all of my podcasts with the same question though, and I'm excited to hear your answers for this. So what does being a good human mean to Jack Jenkins? Um, So a good human, I think just really being your best, but also just being your best for others around you. So like just, just helping others, just being the, if you're the best human you are as a person, your best self, that can reflect a lot of, and the the ripple effects that you can let off and help with the, the people around you. So how do, be, how do we be our best self, sir? How do you be your best self? It's helping people. It's doing selfless acts. It's checking in on mates. It's catching up for a beer or a coffee or a meal. Um, It's yeah, just, it's 
I'll add to it. It, 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 it's, it's it's doing the work yourself as well because if you're not in a position to help anyone then you're kind of not useless but it, it puts you in a position like oh so it's like doing the self-work and understanding yourself the reflection and the growth so that when things show up you're in a position so that you can help it mate what a beautiful answer and i am um, like I said, I'm so grateful for this chat. It's so cool to hear your story. It's um fascinating to learn the journey from the and New Zealand to uni and football and um growing up on the farm. There's so many nice little elements to this episode. So, mate, thank you so much for sharing your story. Last thing, where can anyone find um what you're doing? I'll leave it all in the show notes, but kind of last chance to plug anything you got coming up or yeah, anywhere people can go find you. Yeah, sick, bro. So we're up to a lot of stuff. So basically, I'll just send you to our socials. Um, so it's MSFT underscore productions on Instagram, MSFT productions on Facebook and TikTok. Um, and then, yeah, MSFT productions.net on our website. And you can check out everything's pretty self-explanatory. But yeah, no, join the ride. And yeah, we're stoked to be here, Coop. Thanks for the Thanks for this, bro. It's been epic. Mate, I've had a great time. Well, thank you so much for jumping on Good Humans Podcast. Cheer, brother. Cheer. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.